Good day. You're listening to the 64th edition of Free City Radio. It is Tuesday, the 19th of October. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we are going to be hearing from author and researcher Alessandro Delfanti, who has recently published a book called The Warehouse, Workers and Robots at Amazon. This conversation explores the ways that um, Amazon Corporation has um, worked systemically first in the context of North America to work to ensure that uh, warehouses are not unionized. And within that context, we um, explore uh, sort of this moment within labor history, looking at Amazon as um, a very important moment where we see um, globally, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of warehouse workers uh, working for the same corporation. So looking at that as a moment of potential worker power, but also examining the challenges related to that in the sense that um, there is such a high turnover rate at Amazon and there's active organizing efforts on the part of Amazon uh, in many parts of the world uh, to clamp down on the possibility of unionization. Uh, in the context of Canada today, there and we talk about that in our conversation, there's an effort to push for unionization at Amazon through the Teamsters Union. Many other workers' um, organizations, including the Immigrant Workers' Centre in Montreal, have also been working to support warehouse workers, not simply uh, Amazon workers, but other warehouse distribution workers. And I think thinking about labor today um, in the context of the pandemic, we saw the ways that a lot of essential frontline workers were um, given public support. Um, but there's also the workers in the warehouses who got a lot less um, visibility and often those are workers who are in generalized precarious situations, people with you know, precarious immigration status, racialized workers. So we talk about a lot of these um, points in our conversation about Amazon, the potential of organization, but also the systematization of the Amazon workplace uh, that I think has created a, a very new context for how we conceptualize labor and the possibilities for workplace justice in the context of a corporation that has worked so systemically to clamp down on uh, worker organizing. So here's the conversation with Alessandro um, on Free City Radio. Cool. Well, first of all, yeah, can you just introduce yourself and speak a bit about some of the research and work that you've been doing around um, Amazon workers, and and I, I guess most importantly, um, why this is a priority for you? Why is this important politically um, in terms of the direction of North American society? So I'm an associate professor at the University of Toronto, um, teaching in the Communication, Culture, Information, and Technology Institute. So I've been researching the politics of digital technology for quite a few years now, and uh, these latest. Uh, research I did on Amazon was basically uh, connecting some threads in my research in terms of looking at uh, new digital technology, emerging technology, and the relationship with, uh, I want to say, digital capitalism and labor. Um, so why Amazon specifically? I think there is 
something about the importance of that company in terms of, uh, well, even just the size of the company, uh, both in terms of how many people it employs. We're talking about 1.5 million employees, I think, at this point, uh, globally. Uh, and also the financial uh, kind of firepower and the technological kind of firepower that Amazon has. Uh, so uh, just the size of the company makes it an interesting target for, uh, you know, thinking and analyzing how this company works. Uh, there is also some serendipity, though, here, because um, uh, I happen to come from a small town in northern Italy where the first uh, and still biggest, I think, uh, fulfillment center owned by Amazon uh, uh, is located. Um, so I literally have uh, friends who work there. Uh, and it's, 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 in the last few years, it's been always an interesting sort of political, uh, uh, you know, kind of, kind of hub for political uh, thinking and organizing. So the, the presence of that, of that company, that place uh, near my hometown, the fact that so many people I know work there or, 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 or have been working towards organizing people uh, working at Amazon is, is also like a big part of why I started this research. Uh, to wrap up this introduction, uh, all this is... Uh, going to be in a book that's coming out in a few weeks, uh, which is titled The Warehouse, uh, Workers and Robots at Amazon. Uh, it's uh, published by Pluto. Uh, so in mid-October, it will come out. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that background, Alessandro. Um, in terms of understanding sort of the importance of Amazon, not just as a symbol, but also the tangible impacts of labor practices uh, on the part of Amazon and how that um, it's an urgent uh, matter for organized labor to address um, the Amazon conditions and also the like the structures of work uh, and the ways that digital technology um, is shaping um, Amazon labor practices. Um, it seems that there's sort of an emergency happening uh, around the practices of Amazon. And I, I, I don't get the sense that it's out of a lack of political interest, but there's not the sort of organizing um, taking place to respond to that emergency um, for a variety of reasons, um, both in North America, but also internationally. Uh, yeah, um, I totally agree. There is, on, on the one hand, there is this, uh, again, kind of sort of financial and technological and political firepower this company has, so which translates into the ability to introduce new technology uh, in, in its workplaces that uh, organize labor, uh, squeeze uh, labor out of workers, uh, and are basically setting the standards uh, for other companies possibly uh, in the future in terms of the way in which they operate. Uh, so in terms of looking at the way in which Amazon uses technology to uh, organize the labor process, that's a very interesting uh, example at the sort of, a, I don't want to say, at the, at the forefront of innovation there. Uh, also, the entire uh, union, the entire labor politics of this company uh, make it a very interesting uh, case study and to work on, uh, meaning that Amazon is, is, has been striving to be, to be union-free uh, in all its operations. Uh, this is something it has achieved so far in North America, uh, less so in other uh, uh, areas of the world. Uh, so on the one hand, this is a gigantic corporation. Uh, it has like so much power in terms of technology, money it can, it can use to uh, uh, change the way in which labor is organized, uh, fence off, you know, possible offensive, offensives from the labor movement. Uh, on the other hand, though, I think we've been seeing, especially in the last um, maybe four years, uh, 
like a growing uh, movement uh, in terms of workers and unions and worker-led organizations uh, uh, doing their best to tackle Amazon and, and uh, uh, change the way in which it operates. So I think from, from, from the North American viewpoint, it's still a union-free company, both for uh, you know, white-collar workers, engineers, and so on in Seattle and other places like Toronto, for instance, where uh, Amazon has operations. Uh, in terms of its warehouses, uh, we, we've had one uh, union drive uh, unionization drive, sorry, in Alabama, which uh, people may be, may be familiar with, it was a few months ago and it was, it was lost. Uh, and now uh, there is a major uh, uh, cross country cross country drive uh, in Canada by the Teamsters. Uh, so it's it's actually going to be very interesting to see whether this union will will be able to actually uh, unionize uh, Amazon warehouses in this country, uh, which could have a ripple effect on. Uh, Amazon workplaces in the States, of course. So I think the Teamsters see Canada as the uh, uh, as a, a sort of lab uh, to see if, because if they're successful here, I think it's going to be much easier for them to unionize uh, warehouses in the state. The situation is very different in Europe, where union you know, labor laws are very different. So you don't need, you don't need a vote um, to have a union, to have, to have union presence in a, you know, in a workplace. Uh, in most uh, jurisdictions in, in Europe, for instance. So uh, most countries in Europe, uh, warehouse, Amazon warehouses do have a union presence, uh, which, which has resulted in many cases in sort of a normalization of, uh, I want to say the worst aspects of that form of labor. Uh, so for instance, more control over flexibility, uh, uh, more control over work rhythms, uh, stuff like that. So I think the the early presence of unions in, in European uh, warehouses uh, kind of allows us to imagine what what Amazon could look like in a, in a North American context uh, if uh, local unionization drives are successful. Yeah, uh, thanks for that. Um, I mean, it seems that it's a very unique moment where you have like this mass of workers um, at the front lines within a um, uh, corporate context, but actually it's much less atomized than a lot of other uh, sort of outsourcing processes that you see uh, through like sort of subsidiary contracts in labor today. Um, so it seems like it recalls earlier sort of histories of moments within labor struggles where there was um, like a critical mass of workers to um, uh, organize <laughs> around like the sort of fundamental questions of labor in the moment. I'm thinking about like coal workers, you know, in, in the late 19th century, for example. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting example. Um, I think there there may be similarities. So one one thing that we, we need to, to to keep in mind is that Amazon designs uh, its workplace to increase turno worker turnover, uh, and that's a major obstacle to to organizing. It's not dissimilar to like early twentieth century or late late nineteenth century kind of kind of you know industrial workplaces where the turnover was very high, the precarity was very high, and still. Um, uh, you, you know, worker-led movements manage to 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 sort of sort of be sort of like conquer a foothold within those workplaces. Um, so I think there is a 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 super interesting effort from the labor movement side in terms of 
recomposing the super individualized, atomized um, kind of situation that many Amazon workers uh, encounter in those places. Um, on the other hand, because of the turnover, the very high turnover, we're talking, we're talking about you know, turnover rates of uh, people have investigated some, 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 some areas in the States where, where, where the turnover rate at Amazon is 200%, which means that every year, everyone is replaced twice. Um, so this is, a, this is a major obstacle to, to any organizing effort, of course. So I've, I've been talking to organizers who told me, well, the moment people, people get uh, you know, mad enough to be uh, to, be, to become to you know to agitate and actually join the join the labor movement, they're, they're also they're also mad enough to actually quit uh, the company. So they're they're lost in terms of any organizational any organizing effort. Um, so I think a turnover rate is a, is a major problem. This is something that the union uh, who, who who tried the the unionization drive in Alabama also noted. Like okay, uh, they they now want in court the right to uh, to uh, uh, repeat the vote. Uh, so Amazon was found uh, guilty of anti-union practices, and that the, the, the court courts have uh, decided that the, the vote needs to be, be redone. Um, but at this point, most of the workers who were uh, responsible for that uh, organized drive uh, have quit or have been uh, laid off. Um, so there is something about the, this company's ability to keep the, the turnover rate so high uh, that that workers do not have the time to actually uh, work on a uh, sort of a, like a longer horizon of organizing. Can you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, sort of some of the economic and uh, political impacts that Amazon is having on workplace culture that are really important to consider today? Because uh, there's sort of like, and in a sense, it's a very visible um, symbol of labor. And there is some conversation about, you know, the working conditions of both like warehouse workers for Amazon and drivers. But there's still like an invisibility of the Amazon worker, particularly because I think of what you're describing around the high level of um, turnover. Um, so and also, I would imagine that there's a lot of sense of shame or like not interest on the part of workers um, to talk about their experiences. Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any reflections on that. I, I wouldn't say it's a sense of shame. I think it's more it's more about uh, the threat that they are uh, under. I mean, uh, because Amazon is, is is well known for this, you know, for anti anti union anti labor politics. There is a constant Sort of like the workplace culture is built so that people are dis are, are discouraged from uh, even talking about the work, the work conditions uh, in public. So in my interviews, I've encountered lots of people being not ash not ashamed of, of what they do at Amazon, but rather shy and not wanting or, or you know not, you know cautious about talking about uh, about talking about it. Uh, well, I was just wondering if you could just comment, given, you know, the research you've done in the book that's coming out on the impacts that Amazon is having on a more like cultural level. And I just get the sense that it's not really being named um, yeah. in terms of like the, the major impact on our culture that Amazon's having. And, you know, that goes for Quebec and Canada and the U.S., but I, I also understand that that is taking place in different contexts around the world that impact? 
yeah, if, if you're talking about workplace culture, um, I think it's it's interesting to see how they use they use uh, uh, management uh, practices coming from sort of the you know sort of a textbook approach to to management in a sense that that puts together different uh, managerial theories in terms of how to um, manage the workforce through a certain kind of workplace culture. So you have on the one hand extreme surveillance, um, so widespread digital surveillance uh, workers are subject to. Uh, so everything they do is monitored, counted, uh, and recorded. Uh, so, in, for example, the, how fast they work, how often they go to the bathroom, stuff like that, right? Uh, so there is, on the one hand, there is the accept, you know, you have to accept these like widespread uh, surveillance that, that you're subject to as you're walking to the warehouse. Uh, on the other hand, there is this culture of fun. So there is also this idea that that Amazon warehouses are special places where you 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 must work hard but also have fun. And this is a slogan that painted on, on the walls in you know, the warehouses: uh, work hard, have fun, uh, and uh, uh, make history. Um, so the have fun part is very interesting. So uh, Amazon uses like again managerial techniques to uh, build a workplace that's colorful, playful, and and and, and, and possibly fun. Uh, so workers have, workers may feel that they have to abide by this culture of fun, which which even if it's imposed by the company, uh, it's something they, they're supposed to participate. Uh, so that's that's an interesting maybe uh, workplace culture uh, element. Uh, I think in terms of effects, what, you know, wide broader effect in our society, one, society is one of the one of the most important things is, uh, I think, the increased precarity that comes with. With these workplaces, uh, so studies have said that uh, Amazon warehouses tend to the presence of an Amazon warehouse in a certain area tends to decrease employment. So maybe they employ lots of people, but other jobs are lost. Uh, tends to drive down wages. Uh, so Amazon, even even when, even when they pay like you know uh, over over minimum wage, they, they still pay way less than comparable uh, jobs in, in warehousing. Uh, and then precarity in terms of again the very high turnover rate that you, you encounter wherever wherever an Amazon warehouse is located. Um, so I think there is something about this increased precarity and loss of uh, wages that comes with it with Amazon with Amazon jobs that uh, is something that some areas of the Western world have experienced uh, at this point for a few years. Alessandro, thank you so much for sharing all of this uh, today. I really appreciate it. Of course. That was a conversation with Alessandro Delfanti, uh, who is a researcher, um, recently published a book called Warehouse uh, through Pluto Press, which is based in London in the UK. As you heard, we were really trying to examine the ways that uh, the moment, this moment, in regards to worker organizing um, is critical to think about the possibilities of unionization within Amazon, but also to think critically about where our conception of place of work has uh, existed historically, thinking, you know, about factory workers or like, you know, traditional places where unions thrived, you know, auto worker contexts, um, other, other contexts. And I think that today, when we think about labor power, and the role of unionization and the role of uh, workers in our society and the importance of advocating for 
um, worker protection and worker rights, Amazon is a really important field of struggle to consider. So that was our conversation today. I'm going to be doing a series of interviews uh, with people all around the world looking at organizing um, for worker rights in the context of Amazon Corporation. This has been the 64th edition of Free City Radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Stefan Christophe in Montreal. Um, we have a new podcast every Tuesday. Um, and so um, please tell a friend if you like what you're hearing. Um, it's been uh, well over a year now, and it's a pleasure to bring new voices to you every week. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we have our archives up at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. And if you are in Montreal, we broadcast every Wednesday uh, a separate program on CKUT Community Radio at 90.3 FM. To go out on the program today, I'm going to share a beautiful piece of music by Brian Eno with John Cale. And shout out to Brian Eno for being a steadfast supporter of Palestinian human rights. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>